the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Children. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. As Americans, we're obsessed by a need for never-ending noise. We wake to the sound of the radio. We listen to our iPods all day long. We go to bed to the sound of the television. We need to create those spaces and those places in our life where we're still and we know that He is God. Ever been so busy you didn't have time for the people you care about? Like when a good friend is right in the middle of a heartfelt conversation and we interrupt them to check the email on our smartphone? Well, sometimes we can treat worship with the same careless attitude. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy cautions us to offer our best respect and reverence to our Heavenly Father. Ready to slow down and be still in God's presence? Here's Philip DeCourcy in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. For many years, John Stott exercised quite a wide ministry and leadership among British evangelicals. In some way, he was the archbishop of British evangelicalism, and I, along with many, have benefited from his writings and his ministry. At the moment, I'm enjoying a book entitled John Stott, A Portrait by His Friends. They're looking back over his life. And I was struck this week in reading something of the reflections of a man who was his assistant at All Souls Langham, London. His name was Ted Schroeder. And he says that one of the unforgettable memories of John Stott was the Saturday nights they spent in prayer along with some other Church of England ministers preparing for the Lord's Day services. You know, many of these men stood in awe of John Stott, his heart, his mind, his ministry. And yet he said, what left a lasting impression in me was the way in which this great man who inspired such admiration and not a little awe began his prayer. He would echo the words of Abraham, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. As great as John Stott was, Ted Schroeder was taken by his humility, his sense of littleness before God's greatness. That's a great verse. It's from Genesis 18, 27, where Abraham says, you know, I've been so bold to speak to God. Me, a mere man who's come from the dirt of the earth. In fact, Ted Schroeder goes on to tell of another time when they were preparing to go out to preach in All Souls pulpit. And he said this, he was a reserved Englishman of the old school Thai type. I was an ebullient Kiwi who never left a thought unsaid. 
Once when I was preparing to process with John and all souls at a service in which I was to preach, I said to him, John, I'm praying for liberty. To which he replied, I'm praying for restraint. As I reflected on those two incidents that Ted Schroeder reflects on in relation to the life of John Stott, John Stott models before us where we're at in our text. Because John Stott's worship of God and prayers and praise before God were marked by humility and restraint. And if you've been with us in the last two studies, Solomon is dealing with what I call the vices of improper worship. We've already looked at one of those. Their worship lacked proper preparation. But secondly and thirdly, their worship lacked proper pause and proper perspective. Their worship lacked humility. Their worship lacked restraint. So let's look at this second vice. Their worship lacked proper pause. Solomon is bothered not only by their lack of preparation, but their lack of pause. Their worship was marred by haste and rashness in God's presence. Look at verse 2. Do not be rash with your mouth, and do not let your heart utter anything hastily before God. The verb do not be rash is used by Solomon in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9 to speak of someone who's hot, short-tempered, who's emotionally got a short fuse. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, the idea of rashness carries the idea of mindless conduct. It's used in Proverbs 1 verse 16 of those who make haste to shed blood or those who are impulsive in litigation and go hastily to the court. Proverbs 25 verse 8. Solomon is warning them not to go heedlessly and hurriedly to where angels fear to tread. Their worship lacked pause. They were too quick to shoot their mouths off in God's presence. They were kind of trigger happy, so to speak, when it came to praising God and praying to God. They would fire off a prayer here and fire off a praise there. But as with aimless bullets, they become stray bullets, and that's dangerous. And aimless prayers and praise are dangerous. And Solomon warns them here that their worship needs to be marked by pause, brevity, and quietness. They were too precipitous in their words and in their worship. And so Solomon tells them to slow down, to take time, to pause. Because let's remind ourselves, I mean, we come here to worship. We're passionate about that. We assume that of each other. We love the Lord. We want to praise Him. We want to serve Him. We want to offer to Him worship acceptable to Him. Well, let's remind ourselves in a very fast and noisy world that it takes time. It takes thought. It takes reflection to prepare your heart properly to sing the high praises of the high King of heaven. This congregation suffered from a diminished ability to reflect, meditate, and listen to God. Their worship was like their lives, busy, hurried, and noisy. And I think that's a challenge, isn't it? Surely that's a word to us. Surely that's a challenge to every modern evangelical church. We too live in a noisy, fast-paced busy world. We don't take a lot of time to reflect. We don't take a lot of time to be quiet, do we? 
As Americans, we're obsessed by a need for never-ending noise. Sounds accompany us every waking hour. We wake to the sound of the radio. We listen to our iPods all day long. We go to bed to the sound of the television. Silence is deafening to us. Silence is disturbing to us. We've got music in our elevators. You know, you're sitting at a traffic light and you think, is this an earthquake? But it's some kid driving up beside you and his car (laughs) is shaking, you know? That's where we're at. Music is everywhere. Noise is everywhere. And in its proper place and in its proper proportion, that's great. We like to be in the company of other people and the buzz of conversation or the noise of life. I know it can be off-putting, but to me, there's still something cool about the noise and the blaring of horns in a busy city. You feel you're somewhere where life is really going on. But we've got to watch ourselves because we do need to be quiet if we're to know ourselves. And we do need to be quiet if we're to know God. In fact, let's be honest, even this whole thing of noise is is spilling over into the church where the modern worship leader hasn't escaped this. And the modern worship service considers it a breach of etiquette if there's dead spots, if there's moments of quietness. We pray even to the sound of background music. We worship to the sound of background music. That didn't happen a generation ago. There were not dead spots, but moments of pause, silence, quietness. It wouldn't be a generation ago that the five minutes before the service, things got quieter. Why? Because you're coming into the house of God. Don't be rash. Don't be quick to speak. Don't blabber on in the presence of Almighty God who not only hears your words, but sees your heart. And if those things aren't in tune, you're in trouble. That's Solomon's point. Their worship lacked proper pause. I mean, how often in the book of Psalms do you see that little word, selah? Now, there's a debate among lexicographers as to what that word means. It could mean a rest in the music. There's a pause in the music so that the singing ceases and the instruments are heard. But more than likely, it actually means to pause so that those who have just sang that song reflect on what they've just sang. You know? Okay, it's kind of, and I think on that. We need to give ourselves time and and we need to create an atmosphere where we think upon God and, and His Word and His theology. I don't know if it has ever struck you, but in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 7, here's what we read. No hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. Isn't that interesting? All the noise took place over in the quarry. But when they came to the temple mount, it was kind of ready-made and the stones were slotted into place. That's an amazing thought. If you'd have been at the erection of the temple of Solomon, you wouldn't have heard the clanging of hammers or the, the noise of chisels. It seems to me that we who are nigh the temple of God, we need to create those spaces and those places in our life where there's no noise where we're still and we know that He is God, that we're not quick to speak, 
where we're not trigger happy, so to speak, verbally in God's presence. What do we read in Psalm 46, verse 10? The very words that I quoted, be still and know that I am God. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 62, verse 1. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes salvation. The same in verse 5. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. What do we read in Isaiah 30 and verse 15? A verse maybe we need to learn afresh. I love this verse. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. You want to be a strong person? Make sure you've got those quiet times. Away from the hurry and the hassle of life. Where you slow down, where you take it all in, where you get a sense of where you are before God and before the throne and before the cross and before the world. In quietness and confidence, there's strength. Over in Habakkuk, we're told that God is in his temple and let the earth be silent. Habakkuk 2.20. Now, I'm going to make an application, but before I do, I need to make a qualification. I don't want to overplay this. Because, you know, if you overplay this idea of quietness and silence and retreat, you can fall into an unbiblical monasticism and an unbiblical mysticism where you kind of end up contemplating your belly button and you detach yourself from life and you end up really not hearing from God, you just end up hearing from yourself. Or worse, you hear from a deceiving spirit. So I don't want to overplay this because the Bible lets us know that our faith is a faith that's centered upon the fact that God has spoken. And we, according to Al Mohler in his book on the Ten Commandments, we are the speaking people of a speaking God. Okay? The people of God are being marked not by silence, but by speech. Our spirituality is not about contemplation. It's about reading and meditating upon the Word of God. It's not about detached silence. It's about passionate petition. A biblical spirituality is not a spirituality of withdrawal and detachment. So I want to be careful about that. While I'm encouraging silence, I do want to remember that ours is a religion of revelation. God has spoken, which compels us to speak to the one who has spoken to us and speak to others about the one who has spoken to us. So silence can be golden, but if it becomes introverted, existential, mystical, separating worshiper from worshiper, or ends up in a fanciful pursuit of some inner light, it's unbiblical. But the qualification made, there is a place to be found for silence and quietness in our private lives and in our corporate worship. In fact, in a book I read, I was helped, where we're encouraged to have those times of silence. And certainly even in the worship time of the church, for a number of reasons, listen to these helpful reflections. One, silence prevents worship from becoming a spectator sport. I think sometimes I fear that the noise and the, the speed of the modern worship service kind of covers a multitude of sins. And we've got the worship team up front and everybody kind of comes and sits and for the most part they're passive. And there's a lot of noise. But in the quietness, you see, then you're left with God and your own thoughts about God. 
And you'll soon find out how real your relationship with him is. So silence prevents worship from becoming a spectator sport. It prevents you from piggybacking as a passive observer on the prayers and hymns of other people. It throws the worshiper upon his own thoughts and responses. It personalizes worship. That's a good thing. Secondly, silence draws worshipers closer together. Think about that. We are never so aware of each other than when we stop talking. And I think sometimes when there are those planned pauses or or there's a hush that's brought about by God doing something among us, the silence doesn't make us estranged from each other. It actually draws us where we become conscious of each other's presence and especially God's presence. And I think finally, silence accommodates communion and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Okay? While we want to avoid an unbiblical mysticism, there is those times personal to us and even among us when the Spirit of God is is striking up a conversation with our spirit, causing us to cry, Abba, Father. In Romans 8, we read about that. And so as we wait upon each other and upon God, we allow the Holy Spirit to speak into each of our lives, striking up that conversation. I want to say much more than that, but I just want to remind ourselves of the fact that their worship lacked pause, and so can ours. And we need to hear this admonition from Solomon. Don't be rash with your mouth. Don't be hasty to utter anything before the Lord. Like the story of the Native American who was visiting one of our major cities. And as he's walking down a broad way with a friend, he, he stopped and he said, do you hear that? Do you hear the chirping of the cricket? And the guy said, what? He says, all I hear is the blaring of taxis, the buzz of conversation, the sound of people's feet pounding on the pavement. He says, but listen, listen. And the guy began to listen, and sure enough, he heard the noise of the cricket. And he said, that's amazing. Your ability to hear that cricket amidst the din of this bustling city, to which the the Native Americans said, people hear what they listen for. And then he put it to the test. See, everybody had been walking by. They didn't hear the cricket, but he took some coins out of his pocket and he threw them on the ground and you heard the clanging of the coins and everybody stopped and took a look to see what had gone on. You hear what you're listening for. Guys, you and I can't avoid noise. We live in a world increasingly busy, increasingly noisy. And we've got to make sure that we're cultivating, working on this aspect of worship where we're quiet enough and still enough to encounter the God who sometimes reveals himself as he did before Elijah, not in the noise of the whirlwind or the clap of thunder, but in that still, small, whispering wind. Here's the third thought. Their worship lacked proper perspective. Their worship lacked proper perspective. This takes us to the second half of verse 2. For God is in heaven and you on the earth, therefore let your words be few. The fact that they prattled on in the presence of God reveals the sad reality that their worship not only lacked preparation, pause, but lacked perspective. 
They were deficient in their understanding of the distance between them and God, not only geographically, but character-wise, nature-wise. They were too familiar, way too frivolous. Their worship was shallow. Their worship was hollow. They were forgetting the elevated and transcendent position of God. In fact, this is in the emphatic in the Hebrew grammar. For God is in heaven and you on the earth. Okay, get a perspective, all right? That's the point here. I don't know if you realize this, but worship is founded on contrast. Because at the heart of the word worship is the idea of worth. And worth is always comparative, isn't it? And I hope that you make that part of your worship experience, the study of contrast between you and God, holy, sinful, immortal, mortal, wise, silly, you know, elevated. We're the creatures of dust. And Solomon wants to remind them of this contrast, this uh, creator-creature distinction. God's in heaven, you're on the earth, which should bring about a proper reverence which would cause us to be a little careful with how we go running into God's presence. I love Psalm 48 and verse 1. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. All right, we've got to get there. Before there can be great worship, there's got to be a great understanding of His greatness. But you see, we're a shallow culture. We don't take a lot of time to think. So how are you going to get to thinking great things about God if you spend most of your day listening to trashy talk and superfluous conversation that, you know, jams up the airwaves and the television channels? This congregation had stopped worshiping the God of wonders beyond our galaxy. Now, we know that God is near us. Solomon is emphasizing here God's transcendence over against God's eminence, all right? When we talk about God being eminent, we're talking about the fact that God is near us. The Bible talks about Him being at our elbow. The Lord is at hand, Philippians 4, verse 3. You know, He's at our right hand. We read in Isaiah 55, verse 6, that, you know, He's near to anyone who calls on Him. According to Acts 17, 27, He's not far from any one of us. It's a marvelous thought that God lives in your neighborhood, that God is at your elbow, that we can't get away from His all-encompassing presence even if we took the wings of the morning and flew to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's important we take time to be still in God's presence and give Him the glory and honor He's due. That's the reminder from Philip DeCourcy today on Know the Truth. It's part of a study in Ecclesiastes called Watch Your Step. If you missed any portion of today's message, you can hear the complete broadcast online at ktt.org. We know that it's not always possible to hear this broadcast at the same time every day, so we've also made Know the Truth available on the KTT app and podcast. It's your generous support that makes these listening platforms possible. Thanks for remembering Know the Truth in your monthly giving. As a nonprofit ministry, we depend on your generosity to remain on the air. And when you make a donation of $20 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you a great little book that answers the most important questions about Jesus' death and resurrection. You know, it's rock solid since The Resurrection in You is written by Josh and Sean McDowell. 
Use this book for your Easter devotions or as a small group Bible study. It's also a great book to discuss with skeptics or curious friends. Request The Resurrection and You when you give $20 or more to know the truth. Call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. You can also send your gift to us by mail. Just write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And if it's the first time you've contacted us, we also invite you to request a free CD message titled Access Granted. It's an advanced copy of Philip's Good Friday message that explains what Jesus' death and resurrection means for all believers. Ask for the free CD when you call 888-644-8811 or online go to ktt.org. That's all our time for today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. There's more to learn from the book of Ecclesiastes, Friday, on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth, Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you're drowning in IRS debt and can't afford to pay, then you need to take advantage of special IRS tax programs that are available and free yourself from IRS collection efforts once and for all. Due to the financial hardship consumers are facing throughout the country, the Internal Revenue Service has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems. An open phone line has been established by Community Tax for consumers to call and see if they qualify. Take down this number or store it in your cell phone, but call the Community Tax Helpline at 800-500-5588. If you owe back taxes to the IRS and cannot afford to pay them back, or even if you have years of unfiled tax returns, there's no need to fear anymore. But you have to call the Community Tax Helpline today at 800-500-5588 for the help that you need. Don't take on the IRS alone. They can attack your wages, savings, pension, home, and even your Social Security check. Call 800-500-5588 for your free consultation and to see if you qualify. That's 800-500-5588. Critics are raving about three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.